Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for another day, another day of life that you've given us. We do not take it for granted. And Father, we're thankful that we can be here this Sunday morning. We've come to love Sundays. We thank you for Sundays. And our appetites are hungry for some more truth, for the preaching of the Word. God, we're ready and eager to hear and receive Your Word today, so we ask that You would speak to us. Father, as we continue walking through 1 Peter, give us understanding. Give us great understanding, God. Fill us with Your knowledge, Your wisdom, under the power of the Holy Spirit that we might love You from it. That You would get the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. You can use the pew Bible there in front of you. That's the black Bible, page 1116. 1116 in the pew Bible. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter's towards the, the back of the Bible. It's before 2 Peter and it's right after James. We're going to continue right along. We looked at 1 through 5 just last week. Today we're going to look at just two verses, verses 6 and 7. Um, we're near the end of the book, so we're going to be finished here in just a few weeks. But today we want to look at just verses 6 and 7. And in your bulletin, I've titled this sermon, Mighty God, Humble Church. It seems that humility is all but lost in the world today. It seems that nobody prioritizes humility anymore. It seems that nobody places a prize on humility. It seems that, sadly, some of the most prideful, set in their ways, arrogant, judgmental, argumentative people that we know are those who claim to be Christians. Is anybody really humble anymore? Is anybody humble to the point where they're okay to be wrong? Or they're okay with just you thinking that they're wrong? I want to ask you today if you're humble and if you're prideful. And I pray that today, as we focus on a mighty God, that we would be a humble church. Pride is a form of sin. Let's not forget that. Pride will kill us. Seems that for too long we've heard people say, well, that's just the way He is. He'll never change. Or that's the way she is. She's always been that way. You know that. Folks, people that never change are people that don't know God. I hope that we are an ever-changing work in progress. You remember Philippians 1.6 that we did just a few years ago with the testimonies? Philippians 1.6 says that I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Which means, at the end, God will have completed in me what He started in me. And since I'm not to the end yet, I'm not there yet. To which we all ought to be apologizing 
that we're not what we should be. We all ought to know that we're not what God totally wants of us yet. And at the root of all of that is our sinfulness. And at the root of all of that would be our pride. Sometimes we're prideful about how right we are. And sometimes we're prideful because we're wrong. Isn't that true? Sometimes we're prideful because of how right we are. And sometimes we're prideful because we're wrong. Sometimes we're prideful because we know we're wrong, but we couldn't ever admit we're wrong. And sometimes we're prideful because somebody's better than us, but we're not ever going to concede that. Pride's a big problem. And Peter starts to address it here at the end of 1 Peter. But when I'm introducing pride here today, you're thinking of things like boasting and, 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 and this outward seeming superior attitude. That's not what's happening in Peter. That's what's happening in other passages in the Bible where they deal with pride, like in James, right? James is full of Christians who uh, say they have faith, but they don't really walk it. And so those people are prideful and it's seen in their outward living. In Peter, that's not our context at all, remember? He's talking to those who are suffering, major suffering in the face of persecution. When you're getting beat down by other people, when it seems like God is distant from you, when you are literally under physical attack and persecution, you're not thinking about boasting and being prideful. That's not their case at all. What might pride look like in the face of somebody that is suffering? I wonder if that's you here today. You're suffering. Life's not going the way you had wanted it to. And yet your surrender to God is not there because of your pride. This is what Peter's warning against. That they would trust in Him. Read with me, if you will, at 1 Peter chapter 5. Just two verses, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. I want to give us two very simple points today. Number one, pride is dangerous. And number two, humility is satisfying. Pride is dangerous. And number two, humility is satisfying. When we say something is dangerous, we are wanting to warn each other. We're wanting to sound an alarm. We're wanting you to be careful, back away. The other night, we were playing with sparklers in the backyard in the dark. And as always, when you have lighters out and fire out, you say, don't touch it. It's dangerous. It'll hurt you. And I'm sad to admit that Carolina, when her sparkler went out, grabbed it. And it burnt two of her fingers, and she about lost it. It scared her. It didn't hurt her as bad as it scared her. It scared her so badly. You know, a lot of times we think, well, they're just sparklers, right? No big deal. They're not that dangerous. But if you're a two-year-old girl that's never touched fire before, it's pretty dangerous. 
When we say something's dangerous, we're not just playing around. Texting and driving is dangerous. We've seen the results of it. We know what we mean when people say dangerous. And so today when I say that pride is dangerous, we are to hear something really, really bad is at stake. Something bad is happening in our pride. And that's why he says, humble yourselves. He's asking us to be humble. He is commanding us to humble ourselves. Find a way to get humble. Do something to become humble. Don't stay prideful. This is what he's saying. Because why? Because it's so dangerous. And the word, the third word in my Bible says, therefore. And the reason why he says, therefore, humble yourselves is because he has just prior to that, the end of last week's sermon, he's just made a statement about God and a statement about pride that ought to shake us, that we ought to never forget. It's the type of Bible verse that you want to get tattooed on yourself. It's the type of Bible verse you want to hang up in the house on the chalkboard. It says, just one verse before in verse 5, it says... Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Well, why? For, quote, and he's quoting now from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, God opposes the proud. And every one of us struggle with pride in different areas of our lives. We think the problem with our marriage is them, not us. We think the problem with, with the other side of our political views is them. It's totally not us. We, you can hear everybody saying in their political arguments. They're the problem, is the way we often view so many issues. This is pride. This is pride. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says that God opposes the proud. God finds the prideful and aligns Himself on the other side looking against it. How dangerous can it be? Have you ever had one of those days where everything was going wrong? You ever had one of those days where something so bad happens and you turn around and something worse happens? You ever had one of those days where you thought, man, it, it can't get any worse than this? You turn around and there it is. It's worse than that. You're like, what in the world? And you find yourself going, did I do something? I mean, is something against me today? Well, I don't know if he does it exactly in those ways. Maybe so. But the Bible does say that God gets against us. To oppose somebody is to what? Get against them. Right? Let me get on the opposite side and push back. The Bible says God opposes the proud. Can you imagine waking up tomorrow in your pride and being reminded today from 1 Peter 5, 5, Proverbs 3.34 that God opposes you? If you're going to remain in your pride and not surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ today, wake up tomorrow having something against you. And it's not as small as the weight of the world. That'd be a little opposition. God opposing you is a terrible thought. A terrible thought. Pride is dangerous. How dangerous? It puts us at odds with the mighty hand of God. Does everybody see that? The mighty hand of God. This week in our men's and women's Bible study, for those of y'all that missed it, we studied Isaiah chapters 36 and 37, and it was powerful. And Assyria has come up as a nation ready to attack and kill, attack and take over God's people, the, the nation of Judah. And Hezekiah is the king of Judah, and Sennacherib is the king of Assyria. 
And he comes up to him and he says, listen to me, I want you all to go tell your king something. What are you going to trust in? Because we're here to take you all over. What are you going to trust in? And before they could answer, he said, and don't you tell me you're going down to Egypt where you all always flee for safety because they ain't going to find comfort there. And then he says, what are you going to trust in? Then he says, and don't you tell me this is going to be the Lord your God because there's never been a God stop me yet. That's what the king said. This happened about 2,700 years ago. The king of Assyria. He looks to the king of God's people and says, what are you trusting in? And don't say it's Egypt because there ain't no safety there. And don't say it's the Lord your God because no God's ever stopped me before. And he names off about seven different nations and all of their gods and says, God's don't stop me. And your God won't either. And then, he say, and then they say, stop saying it in a language that we all can understand. Speak to us in a language that just we understand because all of our people are going to hear you and they're going to get scared. So he stands up, it says he stands up louder and he yells out real loud in the language that everybody can understand. Hey, your king's going to try to tell you to trust in your God. Don't listen to him. Don't be deceived by your king. Your God can't stop me. Needless to say, he's being prideful. He's strong, he's big. He has beaten lots of nations. But he's being prideful. The king didn't know what to do. It said he got sad. It said he tore his clothes. It said he went into mourning. But he went into his... To, to the house of the Lord, and he sought the Lord and he prayed. The Bible says that the mighty God that we're talking about here, the mighty hand of God, in response to Hezekiah's prayer, sent one angel to go after Assyria. And that day, God's one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. Our pride is dangerous. It puts that God against us. Folks, God's not against us until we go against Him in our pridefulness, in our sin. Why would somebody oppose Him? Because pride is in this such a way that we're thinking that we're right. It's, the, it's, like, the, it's like the ultimate, weird, wicked, devil scheme we think we're right. Prideful is... I'm not prideful. Prideful is, it's not my problem, it's your problem. It's not my fault, it's your fault. I'm not the issue, you're the issue. And it's a brilliant scheme of everything that's against God. Because we don't think it's our problem. We don't think God's against us. We comfort, with our, we comfort ourselves uh, uh, with, with, with things that don't comfort us. And the Bible is telling us that God opposes the proud. Pride is so dangerous. He says, in order to not be prideful, humble yourselves then under the mighty hand of God. See God as this big and strong and awesome maker. We'll meet our maker one day. And we're to see that as something, wow, I need to get right. I need to not be dangerous toward Him. I need not to be dangerous from Him. I need to be humble before Him. Pride is dangerous. When we will not submit to God and recognize Him, we are in such a bad spot. And we need to realize how dangerous that is. Just think of the many different places in the Bible. Noah's building a boat. And the people come laughing at him. Why are you building that huge thing? Well, because God says it's going to flood. Ha! It's never done that before. You're going to listen to God? 
This week, this year, many of us have heard people say to us, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to listen to God. You're going to listen to God, I'm not listening to God. That's what they're saying to Noah. I'm not going to listen to God. And Noah said, well, God told me to build a boat and it's going to flood, so that's what I'm going to do. In their pridefulness saying, I'm not going to listen to you, Noah, they were opposed to God. And God gave them 120 years. 120 years, they never got over their pride. They stayed opposed to God. So guess what? God came and flooded the earth and wiped them out. The only people left were Noah and his children and their wives. Eight people. There were only eight people on the boat. After the flood, there were only eight humans on earth. Why? Because everybody else opposed God in their pride. So they were in danger. Go, go forward a little bit in the Scriptures till. The book of Exodus. In Egypt, Pharaoh has God's people, the Israelites, in slavery. God sends Moses. Go tell Pharaoh to let them go. Pharaoh, you've got to let God's people go. Why i got to let them go? Because God said so. What God? Who, who is God? What's His name? His name is I Am. I Am who I Am sent me to tell you to let my people go. Pharaoh says, I don't listen to God. He warned him. In this case, God gave him ten chances. He's told ten times he said, let the people go. Ten plagues he gave his warnings. Pharaoh didn't listen. Finally, God said, okay, enough's enough. I'll get your attention. God killed his son. Not only his son, but everybody's son. Pharaoh came back and said, all right, God, I'll listen. It's dangerous to be opposing God. Go forward a little bit with Job. The devil comes in, his, in, in all of his pomp and says, God, the only reason Job is so awesome is because you've given him such a good and pretty life. He wouldn't really stay that close to you if you let me get at him. So God says, alright, devil, here's what you can do. You can do a little bit. You can't touch him, but you can do some stuff to him. So the devil goes and kills all of his children. Kills all of Job's children. At that point, Job is still trusting in God. He's saying these big, great statements. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked I came from my, from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. Praise God. Job says these things. His wife even tells him to stop trusting in God. And Job says, you sound like a foolish woman. All I can do is trust in God. So he keeps trusting in God. But then time goes on and on. And his, the, God starts letting the devil attack Job. He can't kill him, but he can make him sick. He's covered in boils. Head to toe, he's covered in boils. The Bible says he took a jar and broke it so he could use the sharp, broken edge of a jar to scrap the pus and the, scrape the pus and the blood off of all those boils. That's the pain he was in. Job sat there, and for some 35 chapters, Job sits there with his friends talking to him, and finally Job, finally Job starts to lose faith, and he starts to say, I don't even know what God's doing. I think God's made a mistake here. God has made a mistake with me. Why, why is He letting me go through this? We know, reading it, why He's putting the devil in His place. He's using Job for a greater good. But Job didn't know that, and Job started, he knew that at the beginning. But Job started to doubt that, and Job starts to lose faith, faith, and he starts to doubt God. He starts saying, God, you made a mistake with me. Why? It's better for me to not be living. And so God comes and sits Job down. 
Chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41 of Job is one of the best pictures of the mighty hand of God. God sits Job down and says, let me address you like a man. And He just starts to question him like that. Putting Job in his place. Question, 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 question like that towards Job to let Job realize how small he is under the mighty hand of God. And at that time, Job is humbled. And Job realizes, I should not have spoken. I repent. I humble myself before you, God. This is what God has always done. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar with Daniel? You remember King Nebuchadnezzar with Daniel? Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel that Daniel cannot worship God. He says, you've got to pray to me. Makes him pray to him, not God. And he loved Daniel. He was kind of tricked into that situation to begin with. God told Nebuchadnezzar, if you do that, I'm going to make you like an animal. An animal. He does. At the end of it, at the end of Daniel's great faith, where God spares Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar comes back and says, I was wrong. He humbles himself. He says, every other God is not really a God. The gods that I worship are not really gods. The God of Daniel is the true God. We have story after story in the Bible like this. I could go on and on and on with pictures of people being humbled. But those people had to learn the hard way. The really, really hard way. Those people, many of them, had to learn at death because they had been opposed to God. Those people did not realize the danger of their pride until it was too late and they had to be dealt with by God. Let me tell you of a passage in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. They have a piece of land and they sell the land. You've heard this story. They have a piece of land and they sell the land. And they said, here's what we're going to do. God, we're going to sell the land. And with the money that we get from selling the land, we're going to give it to the church, to the work, for your namesake. So then they go, they sell the land, they get the money, they come to the church, they come to Peter, the apostles, Acts chapter 5, and they give 50% of the money. If it was $1,000 they got, they gave $500. If it was a million, they gave $500,000. What church wouldn't rejoice over that huge offering? The people of the church must have been so excited. But they had lied to God. They said they were going to give it all. The issue wasn't the amount. I hope you know this. The issue is never the amount with your offering. The issue is the heart that comes with it. Right after that, Holy Spirit comes to Peter and he goes to Ananias and he says, why'd you lie to the Holy Spirit? Your life's going to be asked of you right now. And God killed him. Why? Because he lied to God. 
How can you be so prideful to think God doesn't see your lies? That God doesn't care about your lies? What are you thinking, Ananias? His wife wasn't there. They carried Ananias out and took him to be buried. A little bit after that, his wife comes in. Hey, how's everybody doing? Where's my husband? Peter says, why? Why'd y'all lie to God? God killed her right there too. This isn't Old Testament, it's New Testament, Acts chapter 5. This ain't that long ago. This is less than 2,000 years ago. They carried her out dead too. Why? You can't lie to God. The Bible tells us that God sees every single thing. He hears every single thing. And before it even slips out of our tongue, the Bible says He hears the words while they're on our tongue. The Bible says He sees our heart as we're feeling it. He sees our mind as we're thinking it. He knows it. He's our God. He's the mighty God. And it's dangerous to oppose Him. And Peter says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He is against prideful people, but man, He's in favor of humble people. He just pours grace on top of them. Therefore, which do you want to be? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand. You know, I want to share one more thing that is just absolutely incredible about our God. The very mighty hand, the strong arm that, that did what He did to Pharaoh, the strong arm that does what He does to those who in their pride oppose Him, that hand of God is also the hand of God that those in Christ know is their security. You remember in John chapter 10 when Jesus says, the Father has you in His hand. And then the Son has His hand with the Father's hand. And He even says, nothing can snatch you out of My Father's hand. Nothing. Not even the devil. The very hand that you and I know to be our comfort and our safety and our strength is the same hand that it is dangerous to be against in our pride. Why would we be prideful? Why would we be prideful? Pride thrives, John Piper says, where God is not. He goes on to say, therefore, humility thrives where God thrives. Because pride is simply what we are when God is not around. But when God's presence is here, humility is produced. When we are under the mighty hand of God, we are a humble people. But when we are not mindful or not in or not present with the mighty hand of God, pride seems to raise its ugly head. Pride is dangerous. Therefore, if God opposes the proud, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Would you do that? Would you be willing to reevaluate your life? All aspects? Your friendships? Your time spent? Your time management? Your marriage? Your love life? family relationships, 
your parenting, your motherhood, your fatherhood, your being a child to those who are over you? Would you want to look and see if there's pride there? Would you see if there's pride working in those relationships? Are you in danger? Oh, that we would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Pride is dangerous. But while pride is dangerous, number two, secondly, humility is satisfying. That thought alone gets met with pride because we don't like to be humble. We think taking the humble way out won't work. I'll look silly. They'll make fun of me. I'll look weak. I'll look lame. I'll look small. I'll look wrong. I'll look like I took the soft way out. They won't like me. It won't go over well. I'll seem like I lost. Oh, how many times have you been paralyzed or captivated or defeated by thinking, well, it's going to seem like I lost. It's going to seem like I lost that argument. It's going to seem like I lost in that situation. It's going to seem like they won. They beat me. So? what humility is. Humility is so satisfying because humility is willing to hunker down, set up shop, build a house on the truthfulness of God. God is right. Oppose Him all you want. One day you will see you are wrong. He is right. And to humble yourselves to the point of saying, I'm done fighting, I'm done trying to make sure that I'm right, I'm done trying to prove myself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Establish yourself on the foundation that is God and live there in that humility. Here is why humility is satisfying. It says that if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, it gives us the idea that we're then right with God. Isn't it satisfying to be on the winning team? Isn't it satisfying to be on the right side? I think I may have said this before, but I want to say it again. There's a basketball player in the NBA named David West who was owed $12 million from his current team, the Indiana Pacers. $12 million for next year. Three other teams came along and said, we could pay you $12 million or more. $12 million for one year next year for David West. David West said no to the $12 million. The San Antonio Spurs called and said, we'll give you $1 million if you'll come play with us. Actually, we'll make it $1.5 million. He said, okay, I'll take it. The rest of the world is like, what? You're going to give up $11 million to go play with them? He said, yeah, I want to I win. I want to be a winning team. He's never won a championship. Spurs win lots of championships. He said, I want to be on a winning team. Most people can't understand why. Most people can't understand why. He said, I want to be on a winning team. Humility is satisfying because it tells us we're on God's side. We may, not be, we may not be on anybody else's side. There may, not be, there may not be anybody in your life, no friends, no family members, nobody lives in your town, your country, your neighborhood, nobody at your job that thinks God's side's the right side, but you know, according to the truth, you are. That's all that matters. 
That's all that matters. Humility gets the grace of God. Pride gets the opposition of God. Humility is satisfying because you're on God's side. Number two, humility is satisfying because we know that at the proper time, He will exalt us. Humility knows that I'm not trying to exalt myself right now. I'm trying to let God exalt me at the proper time. There will come a day when God will bring vindication. For everybody that's wrong right now, there will come a day where they know they're wrong. For all those people out there that think they're right right now, there's coming a day where God will show them they were wrong. Remember that scary, scary passage where God says, Matthew chapter 25, in judgment, He says, you go that way. And they say, wait a second, God. I I mean, I I was a Christian. I did the church thing. Remember, I gave money to the poor and I I gave clothes to those that needed it and and I helped people like crazy. When somebody was hungry, I gave them food. When they were thirsty, I gave them something to drink. What do you mean, get away from me? And He says, you didn't do it to me. You did it all right. I've never said good works will get you anywhere. You did it all right. You didn't do it for me. That's what God says. What's the difference? Pride. What's the difference? Humility. Hey, it's one thing to feed the the poor. It's another thing to do it in humility because you love Jesus. Two totally different things. Totally different things. One will get you to heaven, one won't. Humility is satisfying because it keeps in perspective at the proper time. Does everybody see that there? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. There is coming a time when Jesus comes back and all this is put into perspective. And in 1 Peter, we have seen this so many times. Peter seems to address them in their suffering with the idea of Jesus is coming back. God's going to end the world. A judgment is going to happen. Keep pressing on in your suffering. Don't give up. And here he says it again. At the proper time, He will exalt you. Now, if you're not humbled under God's mighty hand, what will happen to you at the proper time? You'll be punished by God. You have to deal with Him. You'll face the wrath of God, which is real. But, if you humble yourself under His mighty hand, you cry out for mercy, you confess your sins, you repent. At the proper time, He will exalt you. He will lift you up as His children. He will put you on the winning side of eternity. You will be with Him. So humility is satisfying, number one, because you're on God's side. Humility is satisfying, number two, because at the proper time He will exalt you. And then humility is satisfying, number three, because it makes us not worry. And we're being torn up by worry these days. Anxiety is a problem. Stress is a legitimate issue. I remember a couple years ago when I got sick to my stomach, had to go in the hospital for a couple days and do all this. I thought I had something major going wrong. I thought I was going to die. I had to be humbled by the doctor saying, well, there's really nothing wrong with you. I was like, what? Yeah, nothing wrong with you. I think you're just thinking too much. You're just worried. I'm like, does that really happen? He's like, yeah, it happens all the time. There's people all over the place worrying too much. 
The Bible says right here that in our humility, we learn to not worry. Look what it says. Verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on Him. You see where it says casting right there? Some of your Bibles may not say casting, I-N-G. They may just say cast. And they've turned it into like a, a command. But that's not right. It should have an I-N-G on there. It should say casting. Because how do we humble ourselves under our mighty God? This is what I talked about at the beginning. This is not a prideful people who are out there taunting themselves like, hey, look how good we are. These are people in persecution and suffering. They're scared to death. They're getting beat up. The casting ing at the end there is what is so right because this is a participle showing us how we humble ourselves. How might we humble ourselves under, our, under, under the mighty hand of God? By not worrying. By taking these things I'm worried about and throwing them upon God. Throwing them on our great big God and saying, He's got it. God's got my problems. God's got my worries. God will work this out. God will fix this. He's able to. Let me show you where this is so clear. Turn to Psalm 55. And I think you can find the Psalms. Usually I tell you not to turn there, but I'm going to ask you to turn there. Psalm 55. See, he's telling us to be satisfied in our humility, or humility is satisfying, because we worry so much. And He's telling us to take our worries, our anxieties, and to cast them upon God. See, here's what happens when we start to worry. We start to realize that we've got some anxiety and some issues. And we, we almost default back into pride. It's like if everything's good, we think we don't have pride. No worry. But when things get bad, here comes the pride again, and we start saying, I've got to start handling this. You know how many people I know living in Fairdale right now who are wanting to be a part of church? but they've made a lot of bad decisions and now life's really hard for them and they keep telling me or us as we talk to them and love on them, as soon as I get everything together, I'll be back. I want to be back with you all. I, I just got too many problems I've messed up on I can't. Y'all, that's pride. And my heart hurts for them. We love them. We want them to be a part here. And they think they can't until they get everything fixed. That ain't going to work. In their humility, they can come and say, can y'all support me, help me, love me, pray for me, encourage me as I keep trying to work things out? Yeah, we'd love to do that. At Psalm 55, if you look at verse 22, this is where Peter's quoting this from. Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. Does everybody see that? What Peter is quoting in 1 Peter 5.7 is actually from Psalm 55.22. Cast your burden on the Lord. When you change the Hebrew over into the Greek, the burden word turned into anxiety. Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. Well, I wonder what the psalmist here is thinking of. I want to show you. Look at verse 4. This is going to connect with so many of us. Verse 4, My heart is in anguish within me, the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. They're thinking so much that they feel horror around them just from thinking. Look at verse 6. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away and I would lodge in a wilderness. This person's worries and problems had become so heavy, they thought, I know how to fix it. I just get away. How many times, you adults, have you heard a young person say, 
I think I just need to move away. I'm just going to move away for a little bit. I'll get away from everything. Everything will be all right. I know two or three young people in our church in the last year who have told me that. I think I just need to move away. I'll get away from everything and everything will be okay. That's what the psalmist is saying. If I had wings like a dove, I'd just fly away and everything would be all good. No. Heart issues don't go away when we run away. Heart issues go away when the Lord starts to carry them. You go a little bit further. Verse 16 of Psalm 55, he says, But I call to God, and the Lord will save me evening and morning at noon. He says at least three times a day I'm on my knees in prayer. At least three times a day for the psalmist. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and I moan, and He hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety. Then you move up to verse 22 again. Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. How do you know? How do you know that God will? How do you know that He'll catch your anxieties, catch your worries, catch your burdens? How do you know that a Christian person can really be satisfied in their humility and be worry-free? How do you know that? Well, because the end of verse 7 says, as He's catching our casted anxieties, He cares for us. The one who's catching our casted anxieties cares for us. And folks, this is where the Bible is, what the Bible is, and I wonder if you'll believe it today. The Bible teaches that the God, the Creator, the Maker of heaven and earth, that God cares for us. He cares for us in our rebellion. He cares for us in our sinfulness that opposes Him. This is the great beauty of the Gospel that Jesus was killed by us because He cared about us. Listen to me. Jesus was killed by us because He cared for us. You won't find another God like that. You won't find it in yourself to satisfy you like that. Give me all your problems. I care for you. When Carolina burnt her hand the other night, Val and I were so bothered by it that me and her were kind of in a little bit of a, a struggle to see who could comfort Carolina the most. Val had her hugging her, holding her, hug, loving on her, kissing her, praying for her. I was trying to pull her away, hugging on her, holding her. We kind of had her hugged together, hugging on her, kissing her, praying for her. Her hand was okay. She woke up the next day, forgot it happened. But we cared so much about her and her hand. Folks, listen. He did make us. We have sinned against Him. And He does oppose us because of our prideful sinfulness. But He cares for us. And if we will humble ourselves under God Almighty and His mighty hand, He will satisfy us in our humility. We'll be on His team winning. He will exalt us at the proper, proper time. And He will make us worry-free. Why? Because we know that He will take care of us. Are you humble or are you prideful? Do you think I can fix everything? Or do you give thanks to God? You know, humility is a good definition. You've probably heard it, but it's helpful. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. 
Humility is thinking of yourself less. If you've never heard that before, it's good. You're not a humble person if you keep going, I mean, I just did all this. I mean, it's not really all about me, but I mean, I did all this. It's not very humble. The humble person is the one that actually never thought about what they've done. We need to see God as big and mighty. We need to be people who like the Bible and read the Bible and love to be at church on Sunday to hear the Bible preach so that our view of God just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. we got eight people in Ecuador right now and they're going to be back next Sunday and they're going to th- I guarantee you they're going to know God's bigger. They're at the jungle of Ecuador right now. They're going to see people that are hardly wearing clothes. They're going to be, see people that don't speak English. They're going to see people that have never thought about things that you and I have thought about. And they're going to realize that God made them too and Jesus died for them too. And their view of God is going to get a little bit bigger. Folks, as more and more we grow in the Word, God gets bigger. And the bigger He gets, the smaller we get, I pray. Life's not about us. Can we get over that? Can we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? You remember when John the Baptist came along? And everybody thought John the Baptist was so awesome. In John chapter 3, verse 30, he called us all off guard and he said, No. He must increase and I must decrease. Everybody knows that verse, right? Jesus must increase. I must decrease. Mighty God. Humble church. And let's let the world see it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the Bible, 1 Peter 5. Mighty God, humble church. God, help us to know that pride is dangerous and help us to know that humility is satisfying. Confirm that in us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.